Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon once again in the rarefied atmosphere of Marx Club by three towering figures in British craftsmanship and manufacturing, Robert Ettinger of Ettinger, Jonathan Baker of Turnbull and Asser and James Fox of Crockett and Jones. What these three don't know about the art of manufacturing and the science of selling isn't worth knowing. And as you'll see, they present this ancient, deep-rooted industry in refreshing new light. For any entrepreneurs interested in making beautiful products and in building brands from the ground up, this episode is a must-listen. I hope you enjoy it. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me on this special episode of The Gentleman's Journal, a British manufacturing special. Um, and you, each of you works for perhaps some of the most established and oldest brands in Britain, certainly in London. Um, and in the world of entrepreneurship, everyone seems to be interested in the new innovation novelty. And I wonder what personally drew each of you to work for these uh, very old established brands that value oldness almost over anything else. James, we'll start with you. I'll pick on the youngster. Yeah, of Fine. course. It's, it's going to be like that. That's okay. Um, well, uh, I, I, what what drew me to the business was uh, I, it's, it's actually my wife's business, yeah. so of course I had a, a sort of semi vested interest <laughs> in it anyway. Um, but no, essentially, I mean, uh, we, we talk about heritage, tradition. You know, uh, everywhere I looked at Crockett and Jones, I could just see opportunity sure. for a young person. Um, and really, that was that was industry wide. So I could see that, you know, the, the, to to continue what is a wonderful industry, a great industry in the UK, you can't do that if you're six foot under. So, so yeah. at some point, somebody has to sort of grasp it and and sort of join the business and try and continue it. Um, and. My father had a family business, and sure. I'd, I'd never actually had the opportunity to work for him. So the idea of working for a business f that you know where it actually meant something was sort of quite an attractive yeah. prospect. What do you mean by meant something? What was what 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 does Crockett and Jones mean to you? Well, uh, we talk a lot about you know, C and J because within the industry, there's a few that have been taken over by yeah. you know VCs or you know larger fashion houses, and. Uh, what our production director says, he, he, he's, he, he tells a story about when he walked past, a, 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 well, he, he was walking down the hallway and there was a pencil on the floor and he stopped to pick it up. And one of the, guy, one of the guys he was with said to him, well, why did you bother stopping and picking that up? He said, well, because I paid for that. Yeah. And, and it's everything you do from logging on in the morning, checking your emails, or mm. whether it's three o'clock in the morning when you're 10 months old, it's screaming, oh. a, you know, heart yeah. out. You never really switch off, but it, it, it's you know, worth not switching off. Yeah. And Jonathan, you obviously didn't have a family link to the business, perhaps like the other two gentlemen here, but, um, and you've worked to some really big established fashion yeah. brands throughout the time. What, what drew you to Terminal and Asa? 
Well, I think it's probably because I've matured a little bit. Okay. Maybe maybe I'm a little bit more old-fashioned in my, my outlook now. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think it's a, it's just a different kind of challenge. And really, that challenge is is now about modernization for a lot of these a lot yeah. of these firms, and and that excites me from a from a professional uh, perspective. Also, I think you know luxury is changing and, and retail is changing. Yeah. Um, and again, I think I think businesses that have this heritage and and this outlook and and, and history and, and outlook on retail and and customer service are well placed to yeah. to take advantage of those. I think luxury is becoming much more as it was a hundred years yeah. ago about personalization and about bespoke uh, and and similarly retail is 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 changing and becoming much more about service and experience and I think businesses that have the heritage um, and the and the knowledge of these good old-fashioned yeah. sort of retailing um, skill sets are well placed to 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 really be successful yeah. in in this new world order if you like absolutely and robert you are obviously a descendant of the ettinger clan you are the living embodiment of ettinger but was there ever a time that you wanted to to veer away from the family business well i mean being a family business i i used to go and help out in the factory as a, yeah. as a kid so in a way it's it's in the blood sure. uh, I, I saw the product being made and i was always fascinated but, I mean, I didn't go straight into the business. Yeah. My father sent me abroad for six years or more working for other companies, which I think is very important in any family business. It's right. a mistake to go straight into it because then you only learn from one person or yeah. a few people. And uh, I, I worked in Germany and Canada um, for retailers and manufacturers and, and learned a lot from that. But ultimately, when I came back, I was given the choice as well, and I, I did choose to join yeah. the business. And did you come back with kind of new tricks up your sleeve from those countries? I learned a lot from the other people about retailing and, and marketing, which yeah. at that time we were pure manufacturers. We made a lovely product, but we weren't that good at marketing it. And that's something we've learned over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the kind of badge made in Britain seems to be one of the hallmarks of an incredible product now and it seems to be the most sought after perhaps why why is that and and do we just make things better than other countries around the world do you think what do you think james well i think made in britain has always been a, a yeah. hallmark of quality um you know and you, you you're never going to retail a uh, an inexpensive product that's made in the uk mm. um but of course you know i think the smart manufacturers out there are able to work very hard on that ratio between quality and value for money and you know i think kind of, you know, if, we, if we're talking about a sort of modern day perspective is that um you know the, the information that is out there now for the end consumer yeah. to to research and i suppose that you know essentially comes back to the way that a brand talks about itself or the way that you know through the marketing channels etc um customers now are much more well-versed to the brands that they're actually yeah. willing to invest in. And I think if you've got a standpoint of British manufacturing to sort of that platform to springboard from, I mean, it's just such a great opportunity. Yeah. Whereas if you're sourcing or you were a manufacturer and you've, excuse the pun, but sold your soul and then and, and gone abroad for various reasons, that they, those reasons may have been out of your hands through government issues at the time, whatever, you don't, you, you don't really know. But, you know, I think if you're, if you're steadfast, I think there are still great opportunities within British manufacturing. Yeah. And 
the vested interest now in British manufacturing actually comes from abroad, whether it be a talented management coming across to Britain and, and utilising skill that is actually still available. It never really went away. Mm. It was just some well, surprising decisions, I think, probably that, that didn't really go the way of some businesses and probably lack of support as well through the powers that be. Yeah. And it's a shame. It's a shame, that, but it is coming back. Uh, do you think kind of brand Britain is is stronger than ever before? Certainly with Turnbull and Asa, you've got some incredible British icons who have worn your shirts. Do you do you speak about that more? Do you publicise that more now than ever before? Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, made in made in England, made in yeah. the UK is 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 one of the key pillars of the brand. Um, and to James's point, really, I, I mean, I th I think there's always been uh, manufacturing, and but, but I think what's been also really prevalent is is innovation and that's why a lot of the consolidation has has meant that a uh, that british manufacturing is always at the top yeah. echelon of 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 the industry uh and so from that perspective i think i think as we're we're certainly within the clothing industry and in, in a period of consolidation and 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 looking at how it's affected other industries and and i think brand britain yeah. it within our industry is certainly going to become become more important and robert one of your factories has moved to walsall why did that happen and was that a conscious choice to keep it british well we were based in london the, yeah the, the leather manufacturing area was between smithfield and the angel um and about 20 years ago we were one of the last factories mm. because that area changed it became gentrified yeah. Um, restaurants and offices and, and we knew if we were to keep on making Britain we had to move outside London and Walsall north of Birmingham sure. is the other mm. the manufacturing centre but Walsall was always lower to middle end so what we did was take all our expertise and skills up there we bought another factory a much bigger factory than ours and have transformed that into yeah. making to the skill levels and the quality that we were doing in London but you were never tempted to say go to Portugal, which some which has leather makers as well, or somewhere else in Europe. I think th what we saw up in the Midlands is that a lot of factories closed because they started importing from the Far East. And if your neighbour uh, suddenly brings in a wallet selling for five pounds and mm. yours were fifteen, if you didn't do the same, you went out of business. Right. And so it's understandable by British manufacturing disappeared. But we were lucky; we were at the top end. And that allowed us to charge prices and, yeah. and carry on manufacturing there. I think that's really important what you were saying there about top end. If you know, certainly in the shoe trade, I think probably the same in the in the in the leather goods. Yes. I mean, definitely in shirt making. Mm. That you know, really, if you look at British manufacturing in terms of menswear, there's almost no mass manufacturing left. Mm. We just can't compete. Yeah, and that's why price really comes into it. You've got to be manufacturing a product of high quality and then back that up. And yeah. if you don't, you'll disappear. If you're looking to mass produce uh, a product line and, and you don't need that level of control, then you know market yeah. forces are going to dictate that you, you take that abroad. But again, at that sort of top end, you, you need the control. Yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore, geographical proximity becomes an incredibly important factor when you look at your, yeah. your, your manufacturing and your supply chain. Mm. I think it would surprise people to know exactly how much care and love goes into each of them. Even from a wallet, from, from idea stage to 
being on the shelf. How many man hours do you think is involved in that? And how many different pairs of hands well, go on from, it? Well, from starting to think about a new collection to actually yeah. putting it on the shelf can take six months to a year, sometimes even longer. Yeah. Um, and we, we do take a long time. We make sure that it's right, the design works, it's practical, and we test it as well. And right. Things have got to work. How do you test it? Do you have a wind tunnel for your wallets? <laughs> <laughs> we, we have human beings who are given the bike to test. The Put it in their pockets. From the, from the chaps who drive the lorries to, to okay. myself. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. all use the products in different ways. And after a few months, we, we know whether they're working or not. Really? So what, what does a wallet that doesn't work look like? Just not durable enough? or Not durable enough. Maybe the stitching needs changing. There are okay. all sorts of things that yeah. need looking at. And until you test things, you don't really know. Absolutely. How can you test a shoe, James? Is there a similar well, rigorous... You, you, you wear it. You I mean, it. Cra yeah, it cra cra cracks me up, actually. My father-in-law, he wears a really nice pair of Boston to take the bins out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen a more knackered pair of shoes. But yeah. I'll tell you what, the sole still looks good. Okay. And actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, that sole has not yet made it into our collection yet. Oh, there you go. So that's so, a future prototype. Yeah, it is, yeah. And that is the yeah. most rigorous test of all. So how many hours, Jonathan, does it take to make a shirt from from nothing when you've just got the fabric? Well, I mean, if, I guess if we look at our, our bespoke process as an example, I mean, there's there's about four hours of, of work, yeah. really starting with, with your initial consultation, where we'll obviously take the measures and, and understand how you're going to use the shirt and, and, and what what kind of fit and comfort um, you want from it. 20 to 40 minutes for the, our pattern cutter to actually cut that pattern out. That's done by With hand. With a pair of scissors. With a pair of scissors, wow. yeah. It's still, uh, and, and, and again, that's, that's very much a, 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 that we're committed to. I mean, there's yeah. lots of modern ways that you can do it. Um, what would be the difference from a consumer point of view between something that's been cut by hand and something that's been cut by a machine with the same apparatus, well, essentially? I, 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 guess, I guess personality. It would be it would be really what you get, and what what you get with 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 obviously one of our shirts is is the personality of of, of the person who has right. taken your measures, yeah. and actually then the personality comes through of the person who's then then cutting the pattern, and also as well obviously patterns are are two dimensional. Um, sections as it were but obviously it's a three-dimensional garment so it's it's really understanding how you interpret what the customer wants and how you build the curves right. and build the space into that pattern that, that ultimately creates creates the product so so really i would say it, it's personality that, yeah. that that you get and also that 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 authenticity um, of, of, of sort of a traditional sort of way of, of, of doing things. And, and, you know, when we talk about service and experience and added value, uh, those are very important things in terms of um, in terms of, of, of elevating that, that yeah. service and, and the experience that the, the customer has, knowing that, that our, our patent, George, our patent cutter, is, is, yeah. is basically creating this very unique pattern for them in that in this traditional method i mean you know and he's he's very old school he doesn't use templates i mean right you know he starts with a, a big sheet of paper and, and starts drawing sort of lines on it it's, it's, it's quite an incredible um thing to yeah. to watch and he, you know that's also part of the theater of the experience he's his cutting table is in the berry street store mm. um and obviously we 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 encourage customers to 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 see the the, the process process happening Wow. This then creates the uh, the lay that then goes through into the uh, the cutting room, which takes about forty minutes, and then from there, 
down the uh, down the sewing line and through finishing and pressing, it takes about sixty minutes. Wow. So so there's a, it's about a four hour process from the customer essentially walking walking through the door. So but could you turn that round in four hours if a customer said at midday I need it by this evening the shirt? Have you ever done that? <laughs> um, <laughs> that might put them on the spot a bit, but yeah yeah I mean I I, I guess I guess. Um, if Daniel Craig needs it for the new Bond movie and they're yeah. shooting it this evening, we'd we'd have a, we'd have a good go at it. Okay, good. <laughs> Shoe manufacturing is sort of notoriously long-winded. Yeah. From you know, I mean, there's a huge amount that goes into in, 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 into making a decent pair of shoes. I suppose similar to kind of leather goods, you're you're, you're really at the mercy of the materials you're 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 working with. Um, we'll only use top grade. European calf in the production of our shoes. We, we use very, very few corrected leathers, which essentially is a leather that's got a, almost like a plastic, okay. sort of, well, I say plastic, but a coating on top of it. So we're using what we call full grain leathers. So there are sort of no finishing, well, there, there are no finishes on that leather okay. other than aniline dyes that sort of put in during the tanning process. Our production process sort of is between eight and ten weeks. Okay. So for a single pair of shoes. For a single pair of shoes, yeah. God. So they're, you know, they're in the factory for a long time. There's there's various technical reasons for that. Leather has a memory, for example. So, you know, it was on a living animal okay. at, at one point. I'll make a note. It is a byproduct of the meat industry. Yeah. So we're not, you know, <laughs> we're not shooting Molly for, okay. uh, it, you know, the lovely skin. Um, but, but so we have to leave the leather on the wood or the, on the last yeah. for you know a, a minimum period so that you know that that pattern that, that we have takes up the form of the last and remains that way once you slip the last. So yeah. you mentioned about hands, which is interesting. So that was sort of it's it's a question that we get asked quite a lot because probably 99% of the people in our factory handle every single pair. And at the moment, we've got about 290 members of staff. So So it gives you an idea. Yeah, yeah, it gives you an idea of what goes into making a pair of shoes. We would say that we have between 200 and 250 processes per pair. God. Which is, that's a headache. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of shoe manufacturers want to have business. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because that is a lot of skill. Mm. To to find to train to invest in, yeah. People don't realise how much skill and work goes into making a pair of shoes or a wallet. Of course, um, we often at shows we we actually put all the pieces that go together to make a wallet or a purse, and, and people can't believe it. Mm. They, they think things drop out of machines, right. but in fact, very much like shoes, eighty five percent or more of the production can only be done by hand, um, mm. and machines they start we do cut our leather by machine and we stitch by machine sure. but yeah. all the rest in between is, is handwork and yeah you know most of it really cannot be done by any machines it's human beings and that's one of the reasons why so much went abroad to china and to the mm. far east because yeah. labor costs were far less absolutely absolutely and then my question then is if these people are so indispensable which i'm certain they are what happens now when they start to retire and is there a new generation of craftsmen coming through jonathan that in shirt making or in any trade um i mean it is i think i think skills is is an ongoing problem for for all of us and 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 essentially the the, the way you deal with it is 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 you you internal training essentially right. uh, but that that also does bring its own 
own issues because you're you're just handing down certain ways of doing things and and when people learn on the job as it were you're not bringing new experiences mm. to it so so it, it is a factor and and certainly a, a challenge for, for for all of us in terms of the skills and and the fact that you know it's a declining market declining uh, market as a as, sure. a as a manufacturer how do you attract new people then, Robert? We have the same sort of problem. Yeah. I mean, the, the government apprenticeship scheme has not really worked very well. And I think they're beginning to admit that now. Yeah. Um, and a few think tanks being set up by the government and by manufacturers to talk about how we can encourage young people to think about going into manufacturing and acquiring these skills. And, and we are starting to go into schools and colleges and tell them about the opportunities. I think it's just a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, once we talk to young people, then they're more interested and they're willing to come along and try it for a week or two. But it's it's taken a long time to get to this stage and it's got a long way to go still. Yeah. No, yeah. Even when I was at school, I mean, I, manufacturing in the UK wasn't mentioned once. No, never. You know, I was at school till I was 18. Then I went to university. Not once. Even management in a manufacturing company. Not mentioned once. No. I don't think it's crazy. And the, 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 the shoe trade in Northampton many, many years ago was a seriously big trade. You know, there were 50 manufacturers just in the town and something like 300 manufacturers in the county yeah. as, a, as a whole. Today there are five in the town, all, wow. all top end. And from, from a couple of stories the, the, the old boys in the factory tell me is that they used to say, they used to threaten the children at school and say, if you don't do your homework, you're going to end up in a shoe factory. <laughs> and that's, that stigma stays with people for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, it's hard to shake that. But, you know, I've got friends who are rookies, plumbers. And you think to yourself, well, you know, you, some, at some point in the school curriculum or system because yeah. it is a system it's a churn you know at some point you've got to say look you know little johnny's not going to be a mathematician you know how many lecturers do we actually need in this country you know why can't we or why can't he lend his hand to something that's genuinely practical you know and shoe manufacturing or wallet manufacturing or shirt manufacturing it's as secure as any role that is going to use your hands out there yeah. by some distance. What is the perception of British-made products around Europe and around the world? How are they seen when you travel around into different countries? I think people love Britain as a country, as a whole, they love British people, and they like our products. And particularly, I was going to say earlier that our British products are different. They look different to products made in Italy or France or anywhere else. And the, the resurgence of manufacturing to a certain extent has grown because we are different mm. um, and they just like the look of British. I mean, a British pair of shoes looks so different to an Italian pair of shoes, yeah. mm. as does a British wallet. It's a little bit chunky and heavier. Our weather's different. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Looks like it's going to last, that's for sure. What's the difference between an Italian shirt then and, a, and an English shirt, for example? And do Italians like to wear English shirts? Yeah, we have we have it, it, Italian customers, and and I think to Robert's point, I mean the the collar's probably a little bit stiffer. The right. the the look generally is is a little bit more traditional, okay. a little bit more more formal, uh, and 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 you know that's a challenge as well. We 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 have to remain relevant to the to the wider market, mm. uh, but at the same time 
tread very carefully to 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 really stick to who we are because because then you you just you lose your identity yeah uh, completely so it, it can be a fine line in 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 in, in sure. that product development process yeah and each of your brands in its own way has a royal warrant i believe yeah I mean, um and i think prince charles is the is he the common denominator of every brand? I think he is. Yes. Yes. There we go. I mean, we should have him here, in fact. He would have been perfect. That would be great. Yeah. And, and I mean, the Royal <laughs> Warrant is a, a seal of approval, trust and quality. Yeah. And it's been a tremendous help to us as a business, particularly exporting yeah, over the years, say. because they know that the product is going to be beautifully made and finished, and they know the company um, is a respectful and honest yeah. company as well. And, and that's... It's very important for us and I'm sure for you as well. Well, we're fresh meat on the Royal Warrant list, actually. We only got ours last year, which is quite surprising when you, you know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people think that we've had it for many, many years. Um, but it's uh, it's actually quite a long um, process of, you know, going through to, to, to get one. And, and I think to, to a point, you know, our, our senior management, they were so focused on staying in business and saving our business that, you know, uh, this is a little bit like going back to what you were saying about sort of, you know, having a marketing strategy and talking about the people that wear your shoes. Yeah. It's the, the, the first British mentality, of, if you're a manufacturer, manufacturer is keep your factory busy and then, then do, you know, marketing activity yeah. or things like, well, you know, gaining royal warrants. But no, we were, we were exceptionally proud to, 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 to be awarded, uh, you know, what is one of the finest accolades, mm. you know, for any brand, really. Um, we, we haven't necessarily seen a marked impact on our business. I don't know whether we will, because we've been awarded the, the warrant when we're sort of already at the top of our game. Yeah. Um, so it really is a seal of approval, you know, from our perspective. It really sort of consolidates people's opinion on our, our business. And we have a huge market in Japan. And of course, the second you say you've, you've been awarded a world one, it, it, you know, it, yes, it's a seal of approval, but it's almost a celebration. It's a pat on the back to saying, you know, and, and all of our customers, they, they've, they've written us letters of congratulations and, and you know, and it, it's all Jonathan's hard, our, my, our manager director, it's all his hard work. Mm. You know, so it, it, it's very much personal to him as well, which is, it, it, it's remarkable, you know, and we're very proud of it. And you do, do you put it on the product? It's, it's put it embossed. on the product, yeah. discreetly inside and on the packaging and on the information leaflet. Yeah. And it's got to be done according to the uh, Lord Chamberlain's <laughs> rules. Right. It's a very thick book, <laughs> but it's very relevant. And it, it's good that they do that so that everybody adheres to yeah. what you yeah. can or can't do. And what's the process from an outsider's point of view? Does Prince Charles just walk into a shop and say, I like these shoes or I like this shirt. Um, this is now going to be my shirt maker of choice. Or is there an application process? Do you pitch? Is it Dragon's Den? Or how does it work? <laughs> there is a renewal process. Uh, I think it's every every five years. Okay. Um, and there is obviously an extensive questionnaire that you need to fill in. You have to demonstrate that you essentially are that he mm. is still still a customer um, and and the 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 forms are quite extensive and as as you'd understand obviously with with the prince it goes into to your environmental policies yeah. and those of your suppliers um, so so yes it's it's certainly not a something that is is taken for for, for granted at all um, and I say it the process happens every every sort of five years okay 
and you have to have supplied for five years to start to even be considered for a warrant and it's not automatic yeah after five years you might be granted a warrant or you might not it might take longer yeah um so it's not a when did you get yours yours in the 90s 96 96 and we'd been supplying for i think more than five years before yeah. that amazing and one january morning a letter comes and <laughs> it's happy days <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> How important are the bits around the product to make, bring it to life? The shop experience, whether it's the packaging, the salespeople, how much do you curate that and how much is that in your control, Jonathan? I mean, I, I think I think it's becoming in, increasingly kind of so. I mean, yeah. I, I, that sort of... The way I see it is, you know, product in itself is 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 not luxury. It's 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 product, service, and experience. That that's what equals mm. sort of uh, um, luxury, and I think that's increasingly becoming becoming um, um, more the case. Packaging, service, all of these aspects are all the things that really add value to the to 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 the product and really ultimately make it a luxury product, which is 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 the business that we're in. Yeah. And we've mentioned Japan a few times in the Japanese market and how much they love the Royal Warrant. Um, what are the other areas for international expansion that you think have untapped potential for each of your markets? Well, I mean, I, we're working very hard on China. I, it's been yeah. spoken about for years, but it's still a huge market. You've just got to do it right. And, and it, it's a okay. difficult market to do right because it it's a very different market. The Chinese people are moving so fast forward. I mean, in... In Japan, it took them maybe 10 or 15 years to really want to buy niche brands. Um, and in China, already, the, the, the people from the ages of 18 to 25 are not wanting to buy what their parents bought 15 years earlier. And they're looking towards niche far more quickly than anywhere else in the, in the East. So for us, it's, it's on our radar and we're working hard at it. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Where, where are you looking now? Uh, I mean, e-commerce in in the immediate term is at the forefront of our sure. international expansion, just because of obviously it, it 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 gives you that platform. The 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 routes to market are um, you, you are affordable. Um, a big push for us at the moment, though, is is our buy appointment trunk shows, where okay. we take obviously our bespoke services to international markets. That has been a real push um, over the last um, twelve months or so, um, and really they are sort of really the give us also the opportunity to have a look at where the real opportunities are because we obviously through that format we get to speak um, and to to sell directly to consumers in those markets and the real push for us in terms of that is 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 the US mm. uh, obviously we have the the flagship store in in New York but we've, we're taking that trunk show to sort of eight to ten cities across um, um, across the country and, and Canada and also Asia um, so it's really around those are, are the big pushes for us internationally in the in the immediate yeah. term. What about you, James? Where where where? I've always I've already said we're our production's really the 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 ceiling for us, mm. um, which is which is tricky actually. It, it, it's a nice headache to have, but it's also a headache to have. Um, but you know we've we, we've already spoken about Japan a lot. We, you know we're selling twenty five thousand pairs a year into Japan, so. You know, it's from from my perspective. I look after our Japanese market, so from my perspective, I'd be very proud, and I'm sure Jonathan would be. Um, yeah. But he he he, being a managing director, naturally spreads his time quite thinly. Um, I would love to see a CNJ flagship in mm. in Tokyo. 
I think that would be wonderful. I think it would really underpin the marketplace for the amount of customers we have over there. Um, the US, I think, is a hugely untapped market for, for Crockett & Jones. We've made for some of the biggest brands in the US for 50, 60 years. Um, you know, and I think a lot of those big brands are very much changing their own business models, which hasn't necessarily been good for okay. C&J. Um, so, yeah, so we've, we've, we've only got one store in New York, you know, and when you're looking at a population of, what, 330 million, there's, there's some really, you know, big powerhouse cities in the yeah. States. Um, so that, you know, that's not... We've actually just taken our first steps into China in okay. a, whatever, it's going to be a 130 or 140-year history next year. So that's on the radar. Um, we're taking China exceptionally careful because with shoes it's you've got to sell a pair of good you are to choose you know they're it's not like buying a pair of trainers or you know or or even going but you know buying another item like a a watch or something because you know you've got to make sure shoes fit because if they don't fit they hurt like hell you know and especially well-made shoes because you know they're, they're 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 not as flexible as you know, a lot of the trainers that are, you know, people, especially sure. the 18 to 25 year olds might might be wearing. So you've got to make sure you sell them well. And, and you know, that's so that's kind of to, to that sales process. Then you've got to you've got to have a, a, a kind of educated knowledge based okay. sales process. Yeah. So China for us is a is a it's a difficult market, but there is an uprising of younger guys taking family money and going with their passion, which is sure. menswear. You know, so they what and what we found is they tend to have been educated in the UK, and then they've taken those European ideas yeah. back to, to to their hometown, thinking, you know, why the hell are my mates not wearing, you know, Drake's ties or yeah. you know, why are they not wearing C and J shoes? It's so it's that's the way we're going. You know, we're okay. we're, we're, we're we're a long way off going big time into China. Yeah. Um, but you know, for us, the main focus is is our current markets and supporting them as they grow. Because that's what we find. We tend to find that, you know, every time we have spare production, one of our other markets has, you know, grown and, you know, it, and, and when you've got 400 customers and each of them are putting on 5 10% growth every year, you've never got any production to take on new customers. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's a, like I say, it's a nice problem to have, but tricky it's at the same time. But the, the profitability of our company is definitely going to come through growth of our own retail. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Because of the ceiling I was talking about. And what are the new opportunities that tech and innovation give in that retail space? What they're, they're such analog industries, these these craft industries. Is there any way to bring that experience to life online as well, Jonathan? Or um, I mean, we wouldn't. I mean, obviously, if we if we talk about bespoke, no, because no. because that retail em- environment uh, is is very much at the centre of that because there are. There are physical measurements to be to be to be taken. I mean, yes, there there are, there are more and more sort of um, sort of you know small kit ways of doing it, and you sat at home taking all the measures yourself. But but as say you're just not getting all that extra level of service of and experience, and and you're not going to end up with the the same level of of yeah. of, of product out of it. Um, Retail is 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 going to have to be about. Um, things that ultimately cannot be replicated online, and and and, and bespoke is 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 very much at the yeah. at the centre of that. 
And Robert, I suppose the difference perhaps between the other brands here is that you don't need to try a wallet on. No. You can buy it offline like you might a pint of milk or a book from Amazon. So has, has that been a big advantage to you? Have you, have you noticed that? Yes, it has been because unlike shirts and shoes, uh, a wallet or a purse mm. you look at. And if you trust a company, and, and that's one thing that the Royal Warren helps, uh, then you will buy that product. So for us, it's not as important to have retail outlet space um, and we're selling more and more online. I mean, our new website is growing by about 7 to 8% a year. Um, I and mean, it's going to be over 20% of our company's turnover by the end of this year. Amazing. It's important and it works for us. I suppose the big thing about leather goods is the smell as well, though. And until we've got smell-o-vision... <laughs> um, well, we're working no, on that. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be amazing. Well, when when I get that one right, I won't be making leather goods anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll retire. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I'm sure in your time in each of your companies, you've come into contact with lots of young people hungry to, to kind of make new products. And I wonder what... Um, ideas get run past you or pitched you more than any other J jonathan do you hear lots of new kind of innovations in shirting no uh, most of the pitches i get are from china and bangladesh yeah. to manufacture our, our products which uh, <laughs> as as we're turnbull and asa made in england they they haven't really done their uh, okay. their, their research but does that really happen a lot how often how many of those do you get a week um i mean yeah i probably get a couple of wow. a couple of pitches a, a, a week um, through LinkedIn from various sort Fine. of um, manufacturing offering us to make our, our, our shirts. Okay. That, that's by far, by right. far the, the, the most common pitch that I, yeah. I get pitched. And, and what about you, James? Are there are the new upstart shoe companies? There's certainly a few I've seen in London. Yeah, loads. Yeah, there's, 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 we, we, get, um, we get no end of emails, whether it's you know, from existing, existing wholesale markets or whether it's from upstarts or mm. whether it's from brands who've been bought out by yeah. bigger brands or you know venture capitalists we you know we've we've got a great reputation as a high quality manufacturer sure. so yeah we get we, we get no end but uh, we, we we tend to sort of say thank you but no yeah. thank you you know we we produce c and j shoes only but yeah we we get the you know you know, we make nice shoes from, you know, Delhi and 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 yeah. wherever. So, of course, they they look on the website and they see shoes, and that's it. Of you course. know, they 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 then contact or through Instagram. I mean, you know, we've got a huge following on Instagram now, and it's it's amazing yeah. the amount of people that say, you know, we can make nice shoes too. It's like, yeah, but we are the manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're kind of yeah. you're almost wasting your breath yeah. by saying, well, actually, we're a manufacturer. So you just you know. well, what do you think of? Um, a, a kind of new generation of of new brands, startup shoe brands. Do you support that? Is that good for the industry at whole, or is that a threat to you? Well, I I think yes. In a sense, it's it it has been positive because the more people that talk about Goodyear welted shoes, yeah. it is positive. You know, whether it's a, a a brand that is not made in the UK or a brand that is made in the UK, if they're doing marketing for the reasons behind Goodyear welted shoes being what you know the reason we make them mm. Goodyear welted and have done for over a century, you know that has to be positive. Um, but you know what what I always sort of come back to is that with the, with the the prowess of the internet now for and, and the opportunity that's been probably 
certainly gaining traction over the last 10 years since since I've been worked for a, for a manufacturer is the it's the opportunity for manufacturers to become brands and that's really come about because of the availability of information you know that transparency that the end consumer can can google yeah. phrases that have only a small amount to do with your potential the product you're making or the potential of the product you're making but still find your website and then learn about your company history and that's where you know starting shoe brands today and essentially a lot of them are jumping on bandwagons because they haven't got their own manufacturing plant they are just brands um you know that that's where they're probably in the long term going to come unstuck but if they can cause a wave of interest wonderful Great, you know, great wonderful. View, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I mean, th- there's there's very very few new shoe brands that are made in the UK. Right. I mean, almost none. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, Gaziana Girling, they've done a wonderful job. You know, and they're they're good guys. They make lovely shoes. You know, and they've I think they've just celebrated their tenth year. You know, so good luck to them. They've actually invested in a, yeah. a plant. They're employing people. But when a brand is just going to Portugal and Spain and you know, underselling of course. the brand by saying, you know, cut out the middleman. It's like, well, that's not really what they're doing. It's not It's not really the honest way yeah. of selling shoes. So that will never work because okay. of the availability. And I think there's a, with with the wave of British manufacturing and, and everything that goes with it, this, this, this authenticity that I talk about a lot, people love going to the origins. And of course, if you've got, you know, heritage like, we have and accolades like Royal Warrants, etc. We are the origins, mm. and that that's what gives us great opportunity to still be in business in fifty years' time. Yeah. So if if a young entrepreneur was coming to you in each of your respective industries now and saying, "I want to make a British-made wallet. I want to make a British-made pair of shoes. I want to make a British-made shirt." What one piece of advice would you give to them? And might you say to them, "Don't bother." I would not say that. I, okay. I would say go and work for some other companies making yeah. products similar to what you're thinking of doing okay. for a few years. Learn the trade, uh, learn by mistakes, uh, but don't start yourself because that generally does not work right. very well. Okay, and I guess that's your own experience. You went, well, you grew up with a company, then you went and did other things and learn other things well it was my father who made me do that I think yeah. he could see that coming straight into the business would not be yeah. the right thing to do learn from others okay yes. what would your advice be James I would say it's definitely the most common denominator for us I would say go go away work your margins out and make sure you can get the retail price okay because if you can't get the retail price you can't sell made in Britain okay yeah there you go Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo, you know, really, you need, you, need, you need to really understand what you're getting into in terms of the, the segment of the market that you're going into. And then outside of that, you know, broadly, I think entrepreneurs is, is, is just make sure you, you have a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and constantly revisit that plan and, and, and constantly reassess that plan. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I think the death of, of a lot of startups really is around overambitious turnover targets, which gives you comfort when you're building overhead plans and suddenly you find yourself in a whole world of, of, yeah. of cash flow kind of issues. So it's about being organised and, and having the discipline to, okay. to, to really stick to that plan and know what's going on. 
So before we go, I'd like to ask you each some kind of quick fire questions to get to know you as people as much as business acquaintances. So I, I wonder who each in the world of business do you most admire? We'll start on my left with you, Robert, to put you on the spot straight away. To me, the person who's done so much so very quickly is James Dyson. Yeah. I think it's incredible what he's doing. Yeah. What about you, James? I thought long and hard about this, and I, <laughs> I honestly could not come up with one name. So I, I went more a slightly broader and anybody who starts their own firm okay anybody who's ever started a business any founder <laughs> because even if it doesn't work it takes real guts yeah, to quite right. walk away from a monthly salary and start their own business my father did it and from a really young age I had bags of respect for him wow what about you, Jonathan? Um, I, I've, on this, I've gone for an, a mentor of mine, really, which was John Morley, who was the managing director at, at Paul Smith, yeah. uh, where I built uh, really my career, and 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 I owe you know a, a lot of what I've learned and mm. where I am very much to those those um, those years. So, uh, yeah. I, I've chose chose okay. John Morley, my old That's my a very old nice MD. Spread of answers there. Great brand as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing this, Robert? I thought about this one. I, I think I'd <laughs> like to design and run niche boutique hotels. Wow. Um, oh, God, that would be good, yeah. In the Maldives. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where else? Well, not in Skegness, no. no. Not in Skegness, no. Or Blackpool. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, what about you, James? Um, I, I, I mean, I'd probably be going down the route of, I mean, all my all my training is sales, yeah. so I mean, I'd probably be sales management. But you know, since I joined CNJ, I've really got into marketing. I'm a real jack of all, and I think that's great for marketing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe agency marketing or okay. my own agency. Right. Um, but, Again, back yeah. to that business thing. Maybe this. But we've established. I'm not sure that's going to okay, happen. Okay. Right. What about you, Jonathan? Um, Fly half for England right. or, or riding the Tour de France. Okay. Were you a good sportsman? Were you uh, a good rugby player? I think I was. You think you were? Okay. But I'm yeah, sure I, you I, are. I think I think if I if I wasn't in this particular industry, I, I would want to do something in in sport. Yeah. Just because that's that's an, another real passion it. of okay. mine. Okay. So. Right. Well, there's always time. There is always. I that's mean, that's what I keep telling. Oh. Darts. There's no age limit on darts. Really, as you can start now. And yeah, we look forward to seeing how that goes. Um, and what uh, is your most treasured possession, physical possession, I should say? I think it would be my grandfather's watch, which in fact I'm wearing. Oh, today, really? I've been looking at that I've several just times had this afternoon. Renovated. Okay. Um, it's an Eterna from the early 1900s. And wow. Just, just like it. It's different, and it's, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and there are not many around. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. What about you, James? Yeah, well, it depends. If we win the fight afterwards, it might be Robert's grandfather watch. <laughs> um, no, I'd like to say a, a, a Shelby Cobra, but unfortunately, it's, right. it, it, I, I have to go down. I'm, I'm a bit younger, so I'm fairly early on in my career, so I have to go down the sentimental route. Um, but I've always kept the same picture of my wife yeah, and also a note my mother wrote me wrote to me, probably fifteen years ago on a piece of paper in pencil, and I've always kept it in my wallet. Really, in your mm. SV wallet. And I'm not like that. I'm, yeah. you know, I'll happily throw my dog out if it <laughs> chews through my wall again. So, okay, y you know, wow, that, that's that's brilliant and a very odd. good answer when they listen to this back. <laughs> they'll be very they'll be thrilled about that. Mm. What about you, Jonathan? I'm on the grandfather theme as well. It's actually my late grand grandfather's CBE medal. Wow. What did he get that for? Uh, services to education. Brilliant. Yeah, he was a headmaster of 
quite a difficult school in in Nottingham, where I where I grew up. Amazing. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Finally, do each of you have a personal motto? And if so, what is it? There have been some very good ones on this podcast. So you're on the spot now, Robert. It's quite simple. It's just don't give up. Okay. Have you? Has that been something you've lived in your life? Have there been moments when you when you thought about giving up? Yes, I think we all have moments when you wonder why you're still doing something. Right. But, you know, just carry on. It'll okay. happen in the end. Good. I'm glad to hear it. James? I've got a few, but one is a swear word, so I'm not sure whether we're <laughs> it's allowed okay. to swear. I okay. Mean... My first is quality over quantity. Okay. It's always been, you know, that helps English manufacturer. My second one is, fuck it, just do it. Okay. Because I think, as the English, we love to procrastinate. That's true. Um, and my... Third one, which actually is probably what I do live my life by and drives my assistant insane, is it's, if it's not pixel perfect, it's not going up. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's almost in, in conflict with just do it, I won't swear, but well, just do it. No, because you can do it right. Okay. I didn't fine. say, you know, fuck it, do, do, a, really, do a really shitty job. No, I said, fuck didn't. it, just do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. There'll, there'll be a few beeps on there this podcast. Be, there <laughs> yeah, excuse me, Robert, sorry. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, Jonathan, what's your motto then? Um, I mean, I don't necessarily have a personal motto, but I guess the theme in the way I approach things is just really get organised. And, okay. and and that's how I how I sort of approach things and, and approach problems and situations is just 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 get myself organised. Yeah. In fact, there's one more question. I said finally, but I want to ask each of you: What's your idea of happiness? Perfect happiness, Robert. That think, hotel in the Maldives. Probably. No, I, I think it's a life balance. I okay. think work is very important. What one does during the day it takes up a lot of time, mm. but also have a balance, enjoy work and play. Yeah, James. Respect from your peers. But I think really? that comes from my family life and has gone into my business life okay. because I'm the youngest of three, of four, mm. sorry. Poor, missed one of my sisters out. <laughs> I have three sisters, so I've always been the one that kind of has yeah. to shout the loudest. Okay. What about you, Jonathan? For me, I mean, it really building on what Robert said, I mean, it's family time, but but really that the, that becomes so good, really, by getting that work-life balance. And you work hard, so it just makes that family time extra um, extra special. Brilliant. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined, at the Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.